0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. The start of a new business year. Tom, Richard and Brandy in the studio for you, looking at our New Year's business predictions. We've been speaking to CEOs and managing directors this morning about what they expect to see in their industries this year. Paul Griffiths, CEO of Dubai Airports, has been telling us when they're likely to get back to pre-pandemic levels and what it means that the Chinese are now able to move around again. Richard Wayne, Group Managing Director of Better Homes, has been doing the same for the real estate industry, speaking prices with Tom, while Alan Smith, the CEO of Agthea Group, big food and water company here in the UAE, has been talking to Richard about food inflation.
0: brand new year um all those christmas uh, and new year's festivities coming to a conclusion but worry not because uh, there's a report out in the papers today that uh, major retailers over in the UK Tesco Sainsbury's Morrisons and Waitrose are all selling easter eggs already <laughs> oh come on yeah they're on the shelves already um it's a policy apparently a retail policy uh, they're trying to get products out there earlier than usual uh to generate more
2: interest but yeah they are on the shelves already. Well, we, I tell you what we're going to get quite soon here in the UAE is we're going to get the Ramadan promotions, aren't we? Yeah, March this year. Because it? it's middle of March. Yeah, yeah give, it, give it a couple of weeks. Well, I mean, clearly that all those conversations will be, they'll have been happening for many months now, but in terms of the public-facing promotions...
1: At what point do you crack out the Vimpo? Is that what you're asking?
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is
1: what when we, it, when, 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 When's it too early?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I think two months. Typically, these things you get a what? A yeah, six weeks, in. eight week. Yeah, which yeah. is basically the week after next. Yeah, any moment. No, that's for Car sure. Car promotions. I mean, have they still got no cars to sell? Because that was the big thing about Ramadan this year, wasn't it? Or last year, twenty twenty two. Yeah. No Ramadan deals because they had no cars.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a difficult one to promote, isn't it? When you yeah. go, here's what you could have had. <laughs> <laughs> This
2: what you could have got. Uh, right, who's been talking to Ed Bell of Emirates NBD, getting his take on some of the big stories of the day, starting with those comments from Kristalina Georgieva. A third of the global economy will be hit by recession this year, says the boss of the IMF. We asked Ed for his and, indeed, Emirates NBD's outlook for the global economy.
3: So as we start 2023, there's a couple of major macroeconomic questions that need to get answered. The first off is whether or not major economies can avoid a recession this year. It does look like we're going to be seeing some coordinated slowdowns, as the IMF has pointed out in big economies like the US, the Eurozone, China. There have been some signs in recent data that economies are holding up relatively better. And if we look at things like the US labor market, that does provide a little bit of optimism. But overall, it does look like we're going to be in store for a slower pace of growth in 2023 than we were even in one last year. The other big question though facing markets is going to be whether or not central bankers have done enough to put inflation back in the box. There are probably some pretty good signs that inflation has peaked in economies like the US where if you remember back in the middle of 2022 inflation was at over 9% on the headline basis and has probably slowed down to less than 7% for December. That's still way above the target that uh, the Federal Reserve wants and in any country that has a central bank that targets inflation, inflation is still quite high. So we're probably going to end up with more hawkish tones from central banks, at least in the first half of this year, that will also contribute to that slower pace of growth.
2: Okay, so doom and gloom for the global economy, but boom time for the Arab economy. The National has a good story today based on new data from the UN. To be specific, the United Nations Economic and Social Commission for West Asia, or ESQA, as we all know and love it. But no, they've they've done a bit of research on this, and they say the GDP of 22 Arab countries is forecast to grow 4.5% this year. So 2.7% for the global economy, 4.5% for the Arab economies. Now, of course, part of that is the fact that many of these countries, by no means all, are major commodity producers and oil producers. But we asked Ed, what's the story behind these numbers? And can this regionally outperform the global economy in 2023?
3: For the Middle East and North Africa, it is a bit more of a positive story going into this year. In 2022, we had a big boost from higher oil production across most of the region. Now, that's not going to be repeated this year as OPEC Plus is taking a more cautious stance on production and actually going to be probably cutting production in the, in the next couple of months. Non-oil GDP is also expected to slow down somewhat, but by the standards of the global economy will look pretty robust and governments are in a very strong position, but particularly in the gulf region, to continue to support growth as oil prices, even though they've come off quite a bit, are still quite high and will provide a big fiscal boost if needed. Emirates and VD's Ed Bell. Catch up on the business headlines
0: with the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
1: We will see now what it all means for our willingness to move from A to B. We are getting the predictions of the country's CEOs this week asking them what 2023 might mean for their industries. Uh, Joined now by Paul Griffiths, CEO of Dubai Airports. Kind enough to come in on what is predicted to be the busiest day of his festive season. Morning, Paul. Good morning. So you guys have already said that in the two million passengers you will see moving through Dubai airports um, over this uh, festive period, January the 2nd is going to be the, the big one. How many people are you expecting to see through today?
4: Well, the average over the next 12 days is 242,000 a day, and that's nearly 3 million just during that 12-day period. So, actually, Jan the 7th, we believe may actually exceed today's numbers, 256,000 predicted for the 7th of January. But certainly as far as departures, today is incredibly busy. I've already had a few reports this morning saying that everything is incredibly busy, particularly in Terminal 3, but everything is fortunately, touch wood, uh, flowing very smoothly through the terminals today.
1: Is it too early to ask you for your Q4 numbers? How did we round out 2022? A
4: little bit too early for that, but um, we were something like 6.35 million in November, which was 90% of the 2019 levels. And the interesting thing is the shift between arrivals and transfers has been very interesting. Normally, we're about a 50-50 split between passengers coming through DXB en route to somewhere else and those coming to the city, but that's shifted by 10 percentage points. We've got something like 60% of all customers arriving are actually coming to and from Dubai, which is exceptionally good, obviously, for the city because the economic multiplier of that is very, very good indeed for Dubai.
1: What does that tell us, do you think That people who were arriving to stay here go back and forward to the World Cup, or is it a longer term shift? What's your feeling?
4: I think it's because what happened during the pandemic is Dubai did an exceptionally good job in persuading people that it was a really safe place to be. And I think the weather and the great job that DET have done to promote Dubai in an incredibly contemporary way across the world has actually made it very attractive. So more people are coming here. It's also coupled, I think, with the fact that the point-to-point traffic, which is mostly carried by foreign airlines, obviously Emirates, and fly to buy, has seen uh, an exceptionally strong growth While some of those transfer markets, particularly the Far East and Australasia, have taken a little bit longer to recover than some of the other markets. So those point-to-point markets that are traditionally being strong, you know, Saudi, the UK, India, etc., they've continued to grow, whereas the transfer markets have been a bit sluggish to recover.
1: How much of that do you think is high pricing? I mean, we think that, that prices are high from here into Europe, for example, but it's nothing on trying to get from the bottom of the world to anywhere else. I don't think
4: it's to do with pricing. I think it's more to do with the available capacity relative to market demand. I mean, if you take away something like travel for two years, guess what? People are all desperate to travel and get on an aeroplane to go somewhere. And I think the reality is so many aircraft were grounded during the pandemic. It's taken several Uh, months to get some of those aircraft back in the air. And I know that there are a lot of aircraft still undergoing heavy maintenance to get them ready to fly again. So that shortage of capacity coupled with the incredibly strong demand means prices are high. So it's the arbiter between the two. And I think people are not deterred at the moment by high prices, which is why airlines are keeping them there.
1: You're saying they're keeping them there by choice as opposed to their own costs?
4: I think it's because there are uh, more people wanting seats than there are in the supply chain. And if you actually constrain supply and demand is strong, prices go up. It's open markets. That's what happens. And the same is happening with air travel at the moment.
1: So where's the tipping point? Where is the tipping point between revenge tourism and not being able to afford it? Where's the demand destruction?
4: I think what's going to happen over the next 12 months, we will see a recovery of capacity, so more aircraft in the air. So some of those traditional shortages of supply of aircraft seats will correct themselves, will be back um, hopefully to pre-pandemic levels of capacity. And if we start to see some tightening in the economies around the world, as I think lots of people are predicting, uh, there will be presumably a, a slackening off of demand. However, set against that, I think what's happened during the past couple of years, people have really come to understand how valuable travel is in terms of social and economic progress. And therefore, I think travel's probably climbed up the agenda in terms of being less of a discretionary spend and more about something that people regard as something they have to do. So I think that robustness of demand will continue. Um, the supply side will get easier. So that may mean that prices soften a bit, but I still expect them to be fairly robust for the remainder of 23.
1: What does adding China in do to all of this and do to Dubai airports?
4: Well, interestingly, China pre-pandemic was one of our fastest growing markets, growing 20% year on year. And whilst it represents quite a small share of total traffic under 3%, We still believe that that's a huge opportunity. So, China coming back will be very, very good, very strong growth. And I think the Chinese market will again, be very, very keen to get back in the air and Dubai, I'm sure, will be one of the early destinations they will seek to come to.
1: I know it's only been a week, but are you already seeing it? And what are you seeing in, in advance bookings?
4: Not so far, because I think there's baby steps being made now at the moment. And obviously, the health requirements are still a bit up in the air. But I think once the market recovers uh, its confidence and the health issues are solved, and uh Chinese travellers are free to travel again in large numbers. We will see those coming back very quickly.
1: Okay, so let's look at where we are now, ninety percent of pre pandemic in November. Where are we on the pre pandemic ometer if we add in December, do you think? Is there a chance we could have pushed back and and tipped over?
4: I don't think we'll quite get back to pre-pandemic numbers overall, but what we will actually see is a more than 100% recovery in the direct traffic. So in terms of demand for Dubai as a destination, we're well over 100% of pre-pandemic levels. So any weakness of demand is purely in the transfer markets. Dubai is definitely back as a city. We're expecting Uh, to see record numbers I think during 2023 and quite likely to get back to to pre-pandemic numbers before the end of the year.
1: Uh, What could those record numbers look like? 30 seconds, how high could they go?
4: Well, we recorded in 2018 89.1 million passengers. We're geared up in capacity terms for over 100 million. We could accommodate about 118 million, I think, within the existing infrastructure at DXB. And I wouldn't mind betting that we probably get pretty close to... Something like 7.8 million a month which is where we were pre-pandemic and we'll start to see those numbers towards the end of 23. I'm pretty confident we'll get there because Dubai has just done such a great job.
1: And Paul Griffiths is the CEO of Dubai Airports. Thank you so much for coming in and joining us this morning.
0: Thank you. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Exclusively
1: on Dubai1038.com. 2023
0: is upon us. So what are the predictions? We've just heard the predictions about all things aviation, all things airports from Paul Griffiths. And now we turn our attention to real estate, uh, where we can catch up with group managing director at the Better Homes group, Richard Wayne, who joins us live here in studio. Morning, Mr. Wayne. Good morning. Thanks for having me and nice. happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to you. Good one. Quiet. Oh, Nice. Yeah, yeah. Start as you mean to continue. Exactly.
5: The new leaf was turned over on the 30th. So, uh, (laughs) you know, we're we're up up and running.
0: Up and running. Quite right, too. And what better way to do that than with your 23 predictions? You posted this uh, up onto your LinkedIn page already. It's become something of a tradition for the market as well. The hashtag 2023 predictions, uh, real estate and market analysis from Better Homes. So let's work through a few of those if we can. We start with your predictions, 2023 rentals.
5: Uh, So, look, rentals, I think, is probably going to continue to be a slightly tough year for tenants – um, there's a real squeeze on stock. Uh, that that squeeze on stock is lack of new stock being delivered into the market, but also uh, a, a product of people just not moving. Rents are going up, so people are staying put. Renewals are are very very high. So new people coming to the market are finding that rents uh, uh, stock is very very hard to find, and, and rents are going up. We're predicting rents will continue to rise this year, somewhere between ten and fifteen percent. Wow!
0: Yeah. Uh, what sort of pressure is that going to put on the market at the moment i'm looking at from what about from a renewals point of view will we see more renew- contract renewals
5: of course yeah and and that's part of the part of the cause of it you know if you are sat in a rental villa today that you rented three or four years ago you're probably sitting there feeling fairly happy there are obvious uh, rental rate uh, controls on that property so your landlord can't put it up to market value today that is keeping people s- staying put that's keeping renewals high and that's putting pressure on what's available out there
0: from a landlord perspective yields are they going to stay high
5: y- yeah and, and they're getting higher as a result of course uh we've seen property prices increase quite dramatically over the last couple of years but now rental prices are catching them up the, the rate of rise is more with rents than it is with with uh, prices so we've seen Rental yields rise from around six to six and a half percent over the last six months, um, which is very healthy if you look at that on in an international stage. <laughs>
0: Turning our attention to prediction number two, house prices. I've got uh, Sky News open in front of me here. House prices recorded their worst run since 2008, following fourth consecutive monthly decline in December, according to a closely watched measure. Uh, That's over in the UK. I was going to say that. (laughs) You you put me on the back foot.
5: Yeah, it's in the UK, and you know, likewise, you read the headlines for the US and and Europe. It's pretty bleak out there. Um, So what we're seeing here. In the UAE, and it goes along with what you were just saying re- uh, a moment ago about uh, growth outperforming the rest of the uh, the world here in, in in region. That's what we're seeing here. We. we 've seen obviously a very very busy housing market last 12 months. I predict the next 12 months transactions will remain nice and healthy. We're going to see some price growth. I've said around five percent and the reason why I'm tempering that down from this year which we've seen about 10 percent, mm. I think we'll have a bit of a tempering on that and that really is a product of affordability, um, particularly interest rates as, as which have risen you know considerably over the last Five, six months.
0: Interesting you use that word. I mean, do you think that the affordability factor, if we call it that, is going to be something that becomes more pressing for us throughout the course of this coming year?
5: Yeah, I think so, and it's something we need to keep a very, very close eye on. Interest rates have risen uh, from near zero to 4.25% since March last year. I'm expecting that rate of rise to be tempered off. If not, hopefully, you know, as we go through next year, even come down a little bit. Um, But affordability will have and has had an impact in people's willingness to to pay more. Mm. You know, in fact, if you actually look at house prices, in particular villa prices, in the last five to six months, they haven't actually risen very much. Mm. You know, they've been fairly static in the secondary market, but but volumes have continued to rise, which is healthy. So, you know, if we can see that continue, if we can see that trend of house prices being relatively stable, but transactions at a healthy level, I think that's something
0: which we'd all welcome in 2023. Let's talk demand if we can. Paul Griffiths has just been in studio talking about demand from Chinese tourists to come to the country as well. Will they be buying houses? We
5: definitely hope so.
0: Yeah. And and if we look again at the past, that we, we've always had
5: a healthy demand for international investors, Chinese investors when they travelled here. And that, that demand has ebbed away over the last three or four years due to zero COVID and travel restrictions. And th- this is a market that we've seen go through phases, very domestic led in 2020. During COVID, we then saw a lot of Europeans open up to this market during 2021, lots of Russians, of course, over the last six to nine months. And, you know, I think 2023, probably from the middle end of 2023, we're expecting this could be a year where Chinese buyers, Chinese investors really get back involved in the UAE market.
0: Talking of that market and talking of the year, it's going to be a funny old year, isn't it? Um, uh, Because halfway through that year, we're going to have to sort of scratch our heads and get our heads around corporation Mm -hmm. tax. Now, the, the the jury's still out as to whether that's going to have a negative impact or a positive impact on the market out there from a real estate point of view. I, look, I think it's it's the talk of the town and will grow
5: into be quite a loud talk over the next few months. And I think I said in my predictions there'll be uh, CFOs pulling their hair out. But I think this is a global um, uh, um, corporation. Height rise that yeah. we've signed up to, so it, you know that takes away competition elements from rec- off the tail from other parts of the world, and I think it's healthy. I think you know fundamentally it will increase investment into this part of the world, it increase um, transparency and consistency in this part of the world. So we should welcome it.
0: So it therefore breeds security and safety. and exactly. That's what people yeah. reassurance more more than absolutely. Um, the final one I like, and it's, uh, it's all the T's, traffic, traffic, traffic. Why is traffic a prediction?
5: <laughs> well, actually, I drove here very, very quickly this morning. <laughs> but that's because you dragged me in so early from the gym. Um, but, you know, we, we've all sat in traffic jams in the last few months that perhaps weren't there 12 months ago, 18 months ago. A product of the busy market, a product of our growth, a product of the success of the region. Is Obviously, there's a, a lot more traffic on the roads. But I think next time we sit in those traffic jams, we just need to remember that. You know, it's it's part and parcel of um,
0: the success of the city. Uh, we can't thank you enough for the predictions as well. A lot of positivity out there. And why not? That's mm. for sure. You know, we're seeing the population grow here at the moment. Supply and demand we know is going to be an issue. If there's one concern for you out there in the market at the moment, obviously things moving pretty quickly as well. Are there any concerns for 23?
5: Yeah, look, I think global recession, we shouldn't just ignore it. And um, we, we cannot be immune to global headwinds forever. I do think we have momentum and I do think we have the wind in our sail that we can outpace a global recession, certainly for sort of 6, 12, maybe even 18 months. So it, it will be how quick, how short that recession will be, I think is something we need to keep a close eye on.
2: Finally, when talking about predictions, can't ignore football. You're, <laughs> like me from Manchester, proud supporter of Manchester City, Shake Mansour's team down Absolutely. the road in Abu Dhabi. Manchester City to retain the title this year or Arsenal to pit them to the post?
5: We looked a little bit Sluggish the other day in our one-all draw uh, with Everton, and Arsenal seem to be powering on. But I still have faith in the Blues. I think we'll uh, pit them to the post. Faith in the Blues. I yeah. think we'll definitely be head of West Ham.
0: Uh, well, uh, that ain't a tough at the moment. <laughs> and Man United, sure. I'll have as that well. It is Richard. not <laughs> tough at the moment. That's for sure. Uh, Rich, thanks so much indeed. Thank thanks you so much for guys. Uh, and, and all the best to you and the Better Homes. I know 22 has been a bumper year for you and the team at Better Homes so I'm sure that 23 more in the pipeline. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, always more in the pipeline. Tell us about it when <laughs> <Get
2: their titans. laughs> we get that. He's on the telly, isn't he? Now <laughs> he is. Yeah, we,
5: yeah. We've got a we've got a TV show coming out. You have uh, you're in, right, the, yeah. in the spring. Yeah, of which course. could be fun,
0: interesting, mildly terrifying. So there we go. We look forward to uh, uh, watching on, on with interest. Uh, Richard Wayne, thank you very much indeed for your time this morning. Thanks, much appreciated. Uh, Richard is the Group Managing Director at Better Homes Group, joining us live here in the studio. Just the highlights. This is the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
2: Let's talk about the price of food now. We've got a big focus on speaking to CEOs and business leaders this week. It's back to work and back to school. Joining us now on the line is Alan Smith, the CEO of Agthia Group, major food production company based in Abu Dhabi perhaps best known for the Al Ain water brand. Alan, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Morning, Richard. We'll get to your predictions for 23 in a second. But first of all, let's just recap. Let's take a moment and breathe and look at the food price inflation and inflation generally that you as a major food producer had to deal with in 2022. Talk us through it from the start of the year to the war in Ukraine and the peak in the summer and then easing off slightly.
6: So I think, Richard, if you look, we were looking at the end of quarter three, the inflation on our input costs was around 11.5%. So it was around 178 million dirhams on a you know, 1.6 billion uh, dirham cost base. Q1 was very, relatively quiet last year as a, a relatively normal quarter. But then we started to see, obviously, with the volatility in uh, in Ukraine, we saw an escalation in costs. We saw that you know, translate into the first phase of pricing and increase in in inflation in the second quarter, which extended throughout the rest of the year. Obviously, our biggest concern as a food company was obviously making sure that we had availability of materials uh, to continue producing. So we had to make some strategic decisions about when to buy, about where to buy from. Obviously we had changes in the uh, in the supply network because of uh, your market shutting or supply sources stopping. So I think all in all, it was a pretty volatile year and I think we've been able to navigate that very well. In terms of, of prices rising,
2: The narrative that we've seen towards the end of 2022 was that the price of things like wheat in particular, and we all know the story about Ukraine and Russia producing a quarter of the world's wheat, that it did ease off in late 2022. The other thing that eased off in late 2022 were shipping costs. Again, you look at the Baltic index, peaked in summer, but then came off quite significantly towards the end of 2022. Some of those inflationary pressures, those cost push inflationary pressures in terms of the data, were easing off. How did it feel in practice as a major food producing company?
6: So the reality is, you always have a certain amount of coverage in the pipeline. So typically, uh, we talked at uh, in the second half of the year that we were covered to the end of the year on our materials. So it really comes around comes to when you buy the materials, how far your coverage is, and and what flexibility you have in terms of you know timing of those purchases and the price that you pay for those. So what we saw Q2 was without a doubt peak peak inflationary period. You saw all of the grains spike massively in the second quarter. So some easing in Q3, it then strengthened again in terms of cost, but then in Q4, it started to come down. I think the most important thing to recognize is even though we talk about a a drop in that spike versus the the first half of the year, um, what it's translated to is still a significant increase as we enter 2023 against the same period last year. So inflation is still there. Uh, I think pricing. A lot of manufacturers have uh, have had to delay some of the pricing as they've tried to, you know, to manage that cost pressure and consumer prices. So we're going to continue, I think, in the, in the first half of 2023 to see that inflationary pressure, and then hopefully we'll see some easing in the second half of the year.
2: If we were to look at a pie chart of the various different food and beverage drinks, uh, beverage products that Agthia produces, which are the main ones that have been impacted by inflation? And just give us a 30-second overview, if you can, of the main products that you're involved in, because Agthia, not a household name. Of course, Alain Water and many of your products are, but Agthia is not.
6: Very true. I think if you look at where we are in 2020, as we close 2022, we are now double the size that we were in uh, in 2020 so we're now 1.1 billion dollar us or- us dollar organization we operate in four verticals we have our protein vertical we have our uh, snacks vertical we have our uh, agri vertical and then we have our food and water uh, vertical that you touched on roughly each of those verticals is around 25 percent in terms of where we're seeing the growth from um it's more so coming from the protein and, and snacking vertical and even within snacking, certainly the healthy snack side of the business. So in terms of 2022, let's talk about prices. People
2: are driving to work. They're on the sofa watching this at home this morning and they're worried about the cost of going to the supermarket for their daily, weekly shot, whatever it may be. What would be the message you'd send to not shareholders of Agthea, but consumers?
6: I think food manufacturers have to look and get that balance right between, you know, obviously input, you talked about cost push inflation, which was very true. Every commodity was going up, utilities going up, fuel costs going up. I think the message to consumers is we continue to look at how we can get that balance right between pricing. You know, we've acquired six companies in the last couple of years, so from our side, we have to get more efficient in how we you know, we use the resources in the company, optimise our cost base, make sure that we're managing you know, our, our operating cost structures. How do we look at our products? How do we manufacture more efficiently? So it's a balance between pricing and, uh, uh, and being more efficient as an organisation. And in
2: terms of that production, obviously you source from around the world, every food manufacturing company does, but we've clearly seen a big trend of onshore whether it's Apple with microchips or whether it's with food production companies and and chicken production, whatever it may be. Are we going to see more of that this year, Alan?
6: I think so. I think what you're going to see more of in the region, obviously, you know, COVID drove a lot of focus behind things like food security, Uh, companies, countries looking at how they can make sure that they have manufacturing infrastructure within their country. So I think definitely you know we recently announced that we're investing in uh, in a protein facility in in Saudi Arabia in the UAE we have a 10 12 production facilities so we we've actually consolidated one or two we'll look to do uh, more of that this year so producing in the UAE, but producing more efficiently within the UAE. So, yes, I, I think the answer to the question is, inevitably, we're going to see a lot more competition, a lot more long, local manufacturing within the GCC.
2: Finally, in terms of acquisitions, you're not going to tell me names in your pipeline. What, what, What's Agthea going to buy in 2023, Alan? Come on, no one's listening. It's just me and you.
6: I think, you know, we, we actually just closed one acquisition in December, which we, we actually announced in, in July. It took us a little bit of time from a regulatory approval perspective to, to to get that one closed. So we're very excited about that. It's in the healthy snacking space. It's Alf Group in Egypt. Um, we're now setting up that snacking vertical. So we've got three core businesses, dates, BNB, Eberwealth within that. And our big focus is going to be how can we really leverage the benefits of that exciting category, new markets, transferring products from different countries to other countries and really scaling up. We'll continue to look at opportunities in the uh, in the acquisition space. Obviously, we've got to be a little bit more cautious in the current economic environment you know, with interest rate costs and, and currency pressures to make sure that we're making the right decisions. But we, we continue to aspire to growth.
2: Alan, great talking to you. Appreciate your time this morning. I can see you're at the desk this morning, suited and booted and ready to get back to work as we all are on the 2nd of January. Alan Smith, the CEO of the food company Agthea, joining us live from Abu Dhabi.